Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Looking for a place to bet on NFL and NCAA football? BetDSI is an industry leader in football betting and the best sports book for both novice and professional bettors alike. At BetDSI, you can also enjoy live in-game betting. You can bet your favorite teams all game long, including props on nearly every play to the final whistle. BetDSI.com has been paying winners for 20 years. There's 10,000-plus betting options daily on all the sports you love to watch, plus a live casino and daily fantasy play. So use your sports and pop culture knowledge to make some extra cash this week. BetDSI is a very user-friendly interface and mobile site. It's the top-rated on all the betting review sites. It's got the fastest payouts in the industry, so simply play, win, and get paid. BetDSI also offers betting options for everything. Bet on NFL, college football, NBA, NHL, UFC, golf, and all other major sports, politics, reality TV, esports, virtually everything. Try live betting at BetDSI where you can bet on every major sport through the entire game, every play, and every minute. And new members will get a 100% bonus match using promo code CCD100. That's more than double your money to start winning today. You know, I use BetDSI myself. I recently placed my bets for Fury and Wilder on there, as well as some football bets on Sunday night. So if you want to add some excitement to the sports you are love or any sports you are watching, check out BetDSI.com. Once again, go to BetDSI.com and use the promo code CCD100, CCD100, and get this limited-time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash on the sports you know and love. And if you use Bitcoin, you can get 100% deposit bonus on your first two deposits up to $2,000. It's only a game until you bet it at BetDSI. Hello and welcome to episode 114 of Creative Control with Joe Feeney. And my guest today is the uh, the mastermind, if you will, the architect behind Something to Wrestle With, 83 Weeks, What Happened When, and also uh, StarCast as well, and that is Conrad Thompson. Conrad, how you doing today, man? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing very well. Doing very well. Um, wanted to get you on because, I, like I was saying before we started, I feel like we have a lot of the same experiences as fans i feel like we we took breaks around the same time period and came back to wrestling and now you know still enjoy some of the same kind of stuff you know so i wanted to kind of start out with you know your first memories and and stuff like that of of when you were a fan for me it was and see if this kind of rings a bell with you might be around the same time the first thing i remember ever seeing was uh piper's pit with hogan and andre and heenan and piper mentor you know when andre turned heel and the uh, Randy Savage with the ring bell on Steamboat's neck. So WrestleMania three is about when I started getting into it. H- how about you? WrestleMania four, double tape VHS, yeah. summer of nineteen eighty eight. Uh, we went to visit my grandfather in another part of Alabama, and we're going to spend the weekend. And back then, everybody went to the video rental store, a movie gallery, or a Video Express, or yeah. a Blockbuster, and 
they they found this double tape wrestling and they thought, hey, there's two tapes here for the price of one. This will keep the little rugrat busy. And man, I was obsessed. I loved this this alternate universe. You know, I had grown up a fan of G.I. Joe and He-Man and Mask and when there was an opportunity to see the live action version of some of these superheroes that I'd fallen in love with in cartoons, it was awesome. So I was instantly hooked, a huge fan of, you know, the over the top characters, the Hulk Hogan's, the Macho Man's, the Ultimate Warriors, the Demolition. They were they were my new heroes and I was obsessed with wrestling. I would say until sometime in nineteen ninety two. And then I just sort of checked out and took a break until 96 when I'm flipping through the channels that spring or that fall rather. And I see Hulk Hogan standing there in all black and thought, wait a minute, what's going on? And just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. What, um, what kind of caused you to step away? Was there anything in particular? Cause I remember WrestleMania nine, you know, I'm kind of getting a little bit older. I was, you know, 11, 12 years old. And seeing Hulk come back and, and come out at the end and, and take the belt in the way that he did. And I was a big Bret Hart fan, so just seeing that it looked like they were going down that same old path kind of caused me to check out at that time. I started winding down after WrestleMania 8. Uh, my interest just started to wane a little bit. Uh, it didn't feel like, you know, it was the end-all, be-all to me anymore. And then by SummerSlam, uh, the daytime Wembley Stadium SummerSlam, it was just not the same for me. And... Uh, I, I was I was done. I didn't see anything from you know the fall or winter of '92, and I missed all of '93. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know what changed. I think you know, for lack of a better word, I just grew out of it. I yeah. think a lot of wrestling fans sort of, you know, it's it's cool when they're a kid, but then they get to that age and they're like, well, I'm a big kid now, and you know, I don't like wrestling or action figures, and you know, at, at that point, I was more interested in you know sports and girls and that type of thing. Did you, uh, you know, you know that you kind of grew up watching the WWF and Hogan and Savage and Demolition and all that. Were you watching any NWA or WCW around that time in your younger years? Yeah, what's funny is my dad actually worked at a state prison. He was the Alabama version of the Big Boss Man. (laughs) uh, A guy he worked with was a huge NWA fan. And so that guy would get all the NWA pay-per-views and my family would get the WWF pay-per-views. And then he would bring a tape to work the next day. So... I actually got, uh, my dad was asked to record a WWF pay-per-view and he took it to work and his, his buddy got it. And the next NWA pay-per-view, my dad came on with a tape and I'm like, what is this? Mm. And I was introduced to this whole new league. Uh, but it, it, even as a kid, it felt, it felt substandard. It felt second best. And it was because I was obsessed with the big production and the larger than life characters and the colors and just the presentation of the WWF appealed to me more. And of course they had more action figures and more stuff that was sort of themed to kids my age. And I just ate it up. They did a masterful job hooking me in. It wasn't until I started tape trading and I would say 1997 when I really fell in love with Jim Crockett promotions. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. My dad took me to wrestling because that's what he thought I liked. Really. I liked the WWF. I didn't mind WCW, but I wasn't a super fan. And I like a lot of kids in that age really liked Sting and Lex Luger and Flying Brian and the Steiner Brothers. But it wasn't until I was able to get into the tape trading uh, activities in 1997 that I realized, man, Jim Crockett Promotions and the Horsemen, man, this was good stuff. 
Yeah, when I kind of did the same thing, I started looking back. I realized that if I could, you know, you had to go to the desert island and you can only watch the matches of one guy, my guy would probably be Arn Anderson. You know, just I had a best of Arn from, you know, the mid-80s. I think I got from, like, RF Video or something, and I just wore that tape out because just, you know, my favorite of all time, I would say. Um, did you attend a lot of shows uh, when you were younger, you know, in that early 90s time? I went to a lot of uh, tapings in Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a regular stop for WCW. At the time, I was living in a suburb of Montgomery, Prattville, which has since grown quite a bit. But, uh, yeah, they would do routine tapings there and occasionally a house show. And my dad would take me there. Uh, and then we had an opportunity in 1990 to see our first WWF show that came to Huntsville, the Von Braun Civic Center. Mm-hmm. And my parents, uh, I don't know if it was Christmas or birthday or whatever, they got us tickets. And, of course, as a kid, all I wanted to do was see Hulk Hogan. He was not running Von Braun Civic Center, brother. <laughs> uh, on top was uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and the Macho King. And they put on a match that I still remember to this day. And it was my first experience seeing the WWF live. And, I mean, I just remember so much about it. I got the Bret Hart glasses as the merchandise yeah. stand. And I remember, you know, trying to reach out and touch the Macho Man as he went by and it was just really cool as a little kid to see these superheroes, these larger-than-life characters, up close and personal. At that point, I was probably maybe right at two years into my fandom, maybe a little less. So I was at the peak of my childhood fandom, and, and those those shows will stick with me forever. Did you have the uh, the silver or the pink glasses? You know, I, I think I had the ones where it was like the two-tone. It wasn't one all the way through. Oh, okay. Uh, it was, uh, a little bit of both. Yeah. Did you get anything? I mean, I know the tapings, you know, there's a lot of squash matches and then you'd have your, your two or three, you know, bigger main events. Did you get any kind of, uh, special moments back then, title changes or anything that you remember? No, not live. You know, the first, the first show I remember seeing live where, you know, it really made a big impression on me was an ECW arena show. Mm -hmm. You know, when I got back into the, uh, their whole wrestling fandom, I, I was just obsessed with ECW because once I, I got back in and, and saw Hulk Hogan was a bad guy, this new thing called the internet was available to us. So I jump on my dial up internet and a few minutes later I'm browsing around and I saw that there was this whole subculture of wrestling where there were just all the rumors with a Z and everybody sort of freestyling and guessing what was going to happen next. But there was this very local section of the internet that was really pushing how great ECW was and that it was superior. And I'd never even heard of ECW. So it took a little while for me to find it at my house in, in Gunnersville, Alabama, where I was living at the time. And it came on basically in the middle of the night. But I set my VCR, and what I found the next morning was a guy who came to the ring drinking a beer and smoking <laughs> a cigarette and a referee who allowed weapons and even DDT to guy. And girls rolling around in thongs, and I was 15 years old, and that was the most Roll Tide stuff ever. Yeah. So uh, I was obsessed with ECW. So for my senior trip, you know, a lot of my friends wanted to go to, like, Mexico or something like that. Not me. I wanted to go to the corner of Swanson and Rittner hmm. and uh, see the ECW arena. What was what was your first trip? Because obviously, you know, I mean, I'm from the Philly area. What was your first trip up here? Cyber Slam 1999, yeah. which uh, I think is, is an underrated show. I don't believe it's on the network. I know you can see pieces of it from the television show, but if you have an opportunity to see that show, which was a VHS release as a whole, it's tremendous. There's a great Steve Carino promo in there, a tremendous Shane Douglas promo, 
a hell of a uh, cage match to close it up. Mm-hmm. A fun angle with Taz and Candido and Tammy are there. And uh, Jerry Lynn is actually there. And, and, and we even get to see um, to Jerry before he went to the pants back yeah. when he's wearing the blue and white tights. And mm-hmm. they just started using super crazy. It was just, it was a surreal experience and, and one of my most favorite wrestling memories for sure. The only thing that topped it from an ECW standpoint was, getting to go back in 05 and doing hardcore homecoming yep. and that same weekend there was an iwa show where you had unbelievably samoa joe and necro butcher and then there was a czw show where i saw cm punk and then there was the the famous ring of honor show where punk signed his wwe contract on the actual title belt yeah. the ring of honor world title and uh, somewhere in between that's hardcore homecoming and then one night stand I can't imagine there being a better wrestling weekend ever, and that a fat kid from Alabama was able to go is is pretty awesome. So you managed to hit all those shows? I hit them all, and not only did I hit them all, uh, I managed to snag front rows to them all. So if you find those shows, uh, myself and one of my wrestling buddies from Dalton, Georgia, uh, were there chilling, and he had no idea who some of these characters were on the independents, but he came away with a whole new appreciation for the Samoa Joes and the CM Punks and the Necro Butchers of the world. Yeah. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Fall is here, and we could all use a stiff breeze. That's right. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Guys, confidence can take you far in life. It can also help in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. And that's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. You know, you always hear first impressions are important, but what about lasting impressions? It's time to get off the couch and back to work. And if your tool needs an upgrade, head to BlueChew.com. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. 
And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code CREATIVE at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code CREATIVE to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. It's it's funny, like I said, uh, I think we have some some parallels where you're at the same shows and kind of got in and out at the same time. And CyberSlam 99 was actually the first show, the first ECW show I saw live and the first time I took my dad as well. We went to the convention that day and the Q&A and all that, and then we saw the show that night. And I just did a watch-along uh, for my Patreon, and it was uh, I picked it. Shane Douglas and Justin Credible from that show, which is fantastic. I mean, I, I forgot how good it actually was, and I had fond memories of it, you know, but... Like uh, Conrad said, check out CyberSlam '99 and, and go out of your way to check out Shane Douglas and Justin Credible from that show because it's 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 pretty phenomenal. The promo that Shane cut beforehand, yeah, where he talked about you know how he had built ECW and all the legends that had come in there and tried to take him off you know the fr- off the pedestal of being the franchise, and if you think the Jew Punk are gonna take me off, you got another thing coming, motherfucker. Yeah. It's just funny, you know, you've got all these lines that really stick with you and it's been 20 years since i heard him say that but i still remember it like it was yesterday because it was real and i think shane is really an underrated promo and i think people thought maybe he relied too much on foul language in ecw and you know if you're bruce pritchard i get that i understand how you would say well you couldn't really talk like that on wwe tv however that's what made it real you know it's hard for me to get excited about a guy who's you know 270 pounds and jacked to the gills and foaming at the mouth and he says i can't wait to kick your butt yeah i mean that that's a little cartoonish but you know if you think you can take my spot you got another thing coming motherfucker that's awesome yeah and it wound up being his last uh ecw match in the arena too he was gone to wcw shortly thereafter so got to see kind of like the last you know great hurrah there for him with that company uh i also was luckily enough at hardcore homecoming i didn't get to go to one night stand uh, watch it at home and, of course, went up in the hospital afterwards with some stitches in my ankle. You know, leave that to your imagination. The the, the post-one-night-stand drunken wrestling that, that you can imagine was happening. But, uh, yeah, Hardcore Homecoming was, was crazy, and especially that crowd. And, I mean, what do you think it was in that building, like 108 degrees? I mean, it was, it was pretty wild. It was unbelievable, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Nah. You know, I, I've, been, I've been fortunate to do so much fun wrestling stuff, you know, whether it was – all in or you know wrestlemania when the streak ended or i mean just so many cool things that i've been able to do in wrestling but that man that weekend when they brought back ecw because i was such an ecw diehard and i thought it was gone forever and we'd never see anything like it again and that dvd did so well and i was such a fan of the rise and fall of ecw and then jeremy vorash did his own forever hardcore and it was just an overdose on wrestling, but I got to see three big independent shows too. And you got the WWF's version of an ECW reunion. And then the sort of, we've been banned from that show, but we're going to do our own. And, and, and neither one were bad shows. And to no. this day, I still put over, you know, one night stand as being my absolute favorite pay-per-view ever. And it's the best live experience ever and the best show. But I think hardcore homecoming just sort of gets dismissed because and as much as I love Hammerstein and it's great from a television perspective, there was something special about being back at the ECW arena. So where maybe you would have liked for some of the talent who was on one night stand to be able to be on that hardcore homecoming card. To me, it's one a and one B. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so, and that was 05. And of course, I think we were both, you know, Monday Night Wars guys and ECW and, you know, the internet's coming, coming to the forefront and everything. But of course, in 2001, ECW, you know, goes bankrupt. WCW is sold. And uh, I think, you know, I mean, the numbers supported as well. A lot of wrestling fans, you know, kind of went away and some haven't come back. Did uh, What was your fandom like at that time? You know, WWE and ECW is gone. It's the only thing you got is a WWF product. Did you take a little break there? Were you watching, you know, some independence? What was going on around that time for you? Man, my interest in wrestling really started to wane, I'm going to say, in late 99. Mm-hmm. You know, it started to wane a little more in 2000. But, you know, by the time, you know, because whenever I watch WCW 2000 stuff, or or WCW stuff from 2000, sorry. I, I don't ever really even remember seeing it. Like, I know I was probably watching, but I'm not going to say I've blocked it out, but a lot of it I'll watch it. It feels like the first time I watched it, so maybe I wasn't watching. But I know that there was a lot of WWE stuff in 2000 that just wasn't very good either, and, and that sort of goes for ECW as well. I felt like all three of those companies had sort of seen their better days creatively by that point, at least for me. Mm-hmm. But what did pique my interest, of course, is, you know, when the companies went out, it was right around the same time as WrestleMania 17. And, you know, that's a huge show and it was rock and Austin. So it felt like, Hey, there's going to be something good here. And then a couple of months lull. But when they started the invasion in July of one, I felt like it's finally happening. I mean, this is it. And they kept me, you know, really glued and paying attention for a while, even though it was bungled. WrestleMania 18 with Rock Hogan yeah. is still something that when my parents or anyone who was a non-wrestling fan would come over to my apartment, I would pull it up on TiVo because that was a thing back at the time. And I'd be like, dude, you got to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody was really in awe of, of the match. And it's not because it was a, you know, it was a clinic. It's just the way they manipulated the crowd. I mean, it was a it was a masterclass in psychology. I just loved it, and I think it started to, to fade a little bit for me after that. And by the time '06 came around, I wasn't watching at all. Yeah, you know, in, in '04, I, I discovered uh, Ring of Honor. Uh, a friend of mine over in Georgia turned me on to Ring of Honor, and I really dug that and Independence, and that helped me hang on for '04 and '05. But by the time 06 came, I was really out of it. I didn't watch anything in 07, 08, 9, 10. And then I heard about, uh, on my 30th birthday, believe it or not, the very next day when I got online, I saw that uh, everyone was talking about CM Punk doing what they were calling a pipe bomb promo. So I watched it online, and I was like, okay, uh, this is kind of awesome. So I started paying a little bit more attention, but it wasn't until I'm going to guess – um, late 12, early 2013, probably early 2013, where I got all the way back in, and man, uh, I'm in too deep now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, you mentioned being a big ECW fan and, and that invasion time period. Um, who, who was a guy or, or, you know, a few names, you know, from ECW that kind of came in to either WCW or WWE, and you just weren't, you were never satisfied with what those companies did with them? You wish you would have seen a little bit more out of it. Well, the first name that comes to mind is Taz. You yeah. know, I, Taz was positioned as such a believable badass. You know, you, you could have, I could have tried to sell you or anyone who was listening in 1997, 1998, even 1999, that Taz was the most badass dude in the ring, in, in the wrestling business. And then they started him strong and he beat Kurt Angle, but in fairly short order, you realized 
they're not going to do anything with him. And I felt very similar with um, Mike Awesome on mm-hmm. the other channel. You know, he comes in and Mike Awesome was such a physical specimen in, in that he's this big, tall, jacked up dude, but he's doing all these crazy bumps and high spots and and just such power moves. And knowing what we know now, you know, about head trauma, probably not the best thing. Um, but still, he was he was one of my absolute favorites, and, and I was disappointed with that. I wasn't disappointed with the way the Dudleys were handled. I still preferred the, you know, let's start a riot, Bubba Ray Dudley that we saw in ECW. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget at a house show in Dalton, Georgia, um, he was trying to rile the crowd up, and it was working to a certain degree, and then he really turned the volume up. There was a, a handicapped fan on the front row who was wheelchair-bound, and Bubba just cut a scathing promo, the worst kind you could have possibly imagined, to <laughs> challenge this guy's manhood. And I mean, it was just real old-school, oh, my God, suck all the air out of the room heat. And I missed that, but I think they, they were still able to sort of stay true to who they were uh, and I thought that was awesome. It, but, you know, through rest of, I would say most of 97 and the first part of 98, my dream match would have been Rob Van Dam versus Shawn Michaels. Yeah. And, of course, looking back now, I can recognize that Shawn was clearly the superior wrestler. But in my head, if these guys ever had a chance to wrestle, people would see that Rob Van Dam was the superior talent. Clearly, I was drinking that Paul Heyman Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I, I wish that RVD would have had a bigger push, but he did have different pushes at different times. And for whatever reason, it never really worked out, but I don't feel like they ever even really tried with Taz or Mike awesome. I wish they could have done more with those guys. Yeah. And I know you do a lot of looking back now, especially with on uh, what happened when, but, uh, there's a uh, Mike awesome would have some great matches with Scott Steiner and WCW. It's probably his highlight of his time there. And, uh, unfortunately never really did much in, in WWE, but you must've been going nuts for that awesome Tanaka match at the Hammerstein in uh, 05 though. <laughs> It was unbelievable, man. You know, what's fun to to go back and, and see live is, and, and at the time, nobody had ever, you know, this is funny because he's my buddy in real life now, but I'm friendly with Mike Johnson, but I'd never met Mike Johnson, but I had, you know, been a fan of one wrestling and I don't mm-hmm. know if PW Insider was even a thing yet at that point, but I had been reading Mike's stuff for a really long time and nobody had ever seen him, at least in my group. And so we would always sort of joke. Whenever any random person walked by, uh, oh, that's Mike Johnson. That yeah. must be Mike Johnson. It didn't matter. And, and so we, we started to get silly with it. Like, if it was a little person, that's Mike Johnson. If it was, you know, Haystacks Calhoun, that's Mike Johnson. If it, I mean, whatever it was, it was a grandma, that's Mike Johnson. It was just this hilarious thing. Well, there is this kid just flipping out at Mike Awesome at One Night Stand. Yes. And later I realized that's my good friend, my close personal friend, Mr. Mike Johnson. Yeah, yeah, giving him the finger the whole time. And if you can read lips, you know, it's pretty apparent what he's yelling at uh, Mike Awesome during that show and everything. But, uh, yeah, it really stands out when you look back and you know what Mike looks like. You're like, oh, shit, that's Mike. Yeah. But, uh, so, you know, you mentioned kind of taking a break out. And then I think I think the pipe bomb brought a, for a lot of us back. It certainly brought me back. I hadn't watched... Since you know that those ECW reunions, maybe a little bit of ECW in 06, but there was a lot of you know negative things that happened that I think pushed people away. Which of course you know the death of Eddie Guerrero, the, the Chris Benoit situation, even Vince uh, winning the ECW title, even though it's not on the level uh, of those two other things. I think that's one of the things that pushed me away too. But I also came back around 2011 for that stuff, and 
you know, watch pretty hardcore for a while. I've kind of tapered off recently. But, um, I mean, that all leads I, to... I, I, um, I, want, I want to mention this. I, I've never left wrestling in protest. Yeah. You know, and I know that that is a really popular thing to say online where, you know, people are like, oh, this happened. Well, forget this. I'm canceling and I'm not watching. That, Like, that never happened for me. It, it always happened for me where life just sort of gets in the way. You know, when my... If I start a new business, if I get in a new relationship, if I move to a new town, if I take on you know, a second job, like whatever, whatever the, the, as the wind blows in my life, that that's what changes my, my habits like that. But not just mm-hmm. with wrestling, you know, I've had season tickets for Alabama. I'm going to say since 2005. Yeah. So I started getting season tickets in 2005 and I've had the exact same seats. And this year, I've I've been to zero games. Mm. Now that doesn't mean I'm not going to go. I'm going to go to one game. But man, back in the day, you, you couldn't have convinced me to miss one. I, I would go to home games. I'd go to the away games. So then, in time, as I got busier and my career changed, I, I started to just go to the home games. And then it became, well, I'm just going to go to the big games. And then it became, well, I'm just going to go to these three games. So then it became, well, I'm still going to go to one game a year. And so uh, that doesn't mean that I still don't watch the games. It doesn't mean I'm not a fan. It just means I just don't have the time that I used to to dedicate to that interest. And wrestling has always sort of been, for lack of a better word, a hobby for me. Yeah. And, you know, hobbies are something I do in my free time when I can make time. And I, I just at different times in my life haven't had time. But it was never, oh, Vince is the champion. I'm not watching anymore. But I, that's never happened for me. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it was in protest. Like, you see a lot of the, you know, uh, they're going to continue the Saudi Arabia show. I'm canceling network. Roman won the Rumble. I'm canceling network. Stuff like that. It was more like, I'm just not interested in that. You know, I'll come back later kind of thing. And I think these days it's, you have to invest so much time, you know, to, to kind of keep up. I mean, you got the three hours of Raw, the two hours of SmackDown, and then on. I mean, NXT, everything. There's so much, you know, so basically I'm kind of just like a pay-per-view guy now where I'll get together with some friends still and watch those shows. Um, and I really like what Impact's doing, but that's kind of off the beaten path what we're talking about so far. Um, what I wanted to ask was, um, you know, how do you get involved with, I know everyone you know knows you from something to wrestle with in 83 weeks and what happened when, but initially you started doing a show with uh, Ric Flair. How did, how did that come about? Well, you know, I, I, Rick and I became friends, and we were hanging out a lot. You know, he had just lost his son, and he was looking for a, a drinking buddy, uh, for lack of a better word. And I, and I was in. You know, as a wrestling fan, if uh, Ric Flair wants to go drinking, uh, hey, man, let's go drinking. So we would hang out through the middle of the week because he was only booked on the weekends for appearances. So, you know, he'd come over, and we'd watch the draft, or I'd go over, and we'd watch the game, whatever. And it was just a fun distraction for both of us you know he didn't want to uh dwell on you know the the family tragedy that had happened and i thought it was cool that you know the greatest wrestler ever wanted to drink with me and uh there were some fun stories there and but eventually it became you know pretty apparent that we were going to be pretty good buds and we started hanging out more and more and then he learned more about my business and in my real life i just do mortgages you know five six seven days a week but the way I would get customers into the mortgage companies through radio and television advertising. So that would involve me, you know, being live on morning drive radio or live in afternoon drive radio and encouraging people to, you know, call now, find out how much money you can save for free, blah, blah, blah. Anybody who's heard me do a mortgage spot uh, is familiar with that. So 
he heard me do that. And then when an opportunity came down the pike for him to become involved with a podcast, uh, his agent sort of vetted it out and negotiated what she felt like was a good deal with CBS radio and Rick had a podcast. And then he came to me and said, Hey man, uh, what is a podcast? How do I do one? And will you help me? And I said, absolutely. Let me know what you need help with. So he wanted me to come in and, and just ask fan questions the first week. And, uh, I don't know that CBS really liked that idea, but at the end of the first episode, he was happy and they were happy and everybody wanted me to come back the next week and fast forward a few years. Here yeah. we are. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and like I said, uh, of course, there's there's something to wrestle with in 83 weeks and what happened when. What has your uh, favorite episodes been with uh, with Bruce so far on something to wrestle with? Man, that's too hard to say. Yeah. You know, people still talk to me to this day about, you know, the archived episodes and everybody has their own favorite. This week, it feels like I've seen more Cornette references than normal. I think that was a fun show. I think WWE CW was a fun show. Uh, I think the Sunny episode was was a fun show. It's hard for me to pick one though, yeah. because they all have sort of their own identity and personality. There are a handful of forgettable ones that I thought would be really good going in. I thought Austin walking out would make a really good show, but it wasn't. I thought that Demolition would make a fascinating show, but they were relatively boring behind the scenes. So that's probably good for them and their health and their families, but it didn't make for a ton of great stories on the podcast. So there's been some that are, that have been misses, and that those are probably easier for me to list than the ones that I thought were good. I, I have an expectation that every show should be good, but they're not. So the ones that aren't stand out to me more than the ones that are. Yeah, and I mean, as you know, I've been listening since the beginning. I was at the first live show in Orlando and everything, and uh, got to say, like one I can still go back, and, and obviously your archives are huge and, and there's so much time that you've invested in and you can go back and listen to any of the shows while you're driving or cleaning up the house whatever i love the vader episode because that's the first one where i really went all right i'm in because hearing you laugh your ass off at the the vader and gold dust and luna stuff and the the coffee and the bad eye oh my god like i could still go back and listen to that and just crack up yeah that was a fun show man yeah. and it's it's sort of fun to think about too because you know, the, a lot of those first episodes, there's there's really no research. It's just me and my buddy Bruce just shooting shit and me just picking his brain. But there's no real um, format or thought preparation into, you know, a line of questioning. I, I would just jot down a couple of notes like an hour beforehand in my phone, like, oh, I don't want to forget about this. And, that, and that'd be it at most. And some of the times it's just us winging it. But then by the time we got around to, uh, Vader and we got around to the Brian Pillman episode. And I think those may right. have even been back to back. Those were the first two episodes where I was like, okay, I want to do this story justice. And I wanted all the details. I didn't want to miss anything. And so we didn't really focus on length of the podcast. We just wanted it to be good. So as a result, those became our two longest episodes, our two most well-researched episodes, and then well-reviewed people were really talking about them in a positive way. And I decided hey, this is the new thing. And I didn't know at the time that I was signing up for as far as a time commitment. But uh, it's been fun, and, and I think people are digging it. Yeah, the steroid trial one, too, I think was one of the first ones where I went, all right, these guys are going to – they're not just going to you know, give us the, the lip service or the company line and stuff. They're going to uncover. They're going to talk about things that they don't talk about on other shows. So I think that was a big, big uh, part of the beginning of the you know success of the show. Uh, is there anything um, you can think of off the top of your head, like I can't wait to do this episode with Bruce? Any topics? Yeah, I mean, I look forward to certain shows for sure. You know, we've never really talked about um, 
China. You know, we touched on a little bit in the whole Hunter Mary Stephanie episode, but I think that is still a big episode for us. And, and I really like examining the stuff that didn't go well, you know, more so than the stuff that everybody really, really enjoyed. So, like, a WrestleMania 17 is probably one of our most requested topics, but I dread it because you know, I'm going to say, man, this was awesome, wasn't it? And Bruce is going to say, yeah, man, those were good times. <laughs> All right, now let's tell you about Blue Chew. Like yeah. the, Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. All you have to do is go to BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. And BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And Blue Chew's not just for guys, you know, that suffer from ED or anything like that. It's all about putting on your best performance and bringing something a little extra to the table. And you can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. And they're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And right now, Creative Control is a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code CREATIVE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code CREATIVE to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, and faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. I, I need there to be some substance to the show. And if all we're going to do is just high five each other about how great it was, there's really not much to say. I mean, there's been documentaries about that pay-per-view and behind the scenes and people have broken it down and, you know, we'll certainly talk about all that, but most of it's already been covered. I, I really like, you know, like in our new William Regal episode, we talk about the fact that Regal got a, a tryout with the WWF when they were at, um, Man, I'm going to screw was this it, up, uh, but it's it like Royal, uh, Albert, Royal Hall? Albert Hall or right. whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- like nobody talks about that, and the idea that there was a chance he was going to wind up in the company, you know, in 1992, well before he was anywhere else. That's what would that have looked like? How could his career have been different? And so, those type of conversations are the things that I really look for in the show, and 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 sleeper topics like the XFL or the Bob Holly episode, or for that matter, the Jeff Jarrett episode. Yeah. You know, we got so much pushback whenever we would announce that that's what we were doing. And then later, you know, my Twitter feed would be flooded with people saying, okay, I was wrong. That was a really good show. I'm glad I listened because this, you know, the, you don't have to like a character or a storyline for the story about it to be entertaining. You know, some of the, most interesting documentaries I've ever seen or about things I didn't think I'd really care about. But then once I got going, Oh, okay. The story is more, is is sometimes more interesting behind the scenes than what actually happened in front of the camera. Now with, with what happened when that show's kind of evolved, uh, it's probably the, the funniest of the three shows, you know, where, where Bruce, you know, you might be going over the, the newsletters a little bit more and getting his takes on things and, you know, Eric has his own style. Now, with you and Tony, it's it's almost like a like a comedy team, and that's kind of how the show's evolved. Uh, how did you wind up working with Tony? How did that come to be, and what made him your guy for your for your WCW you know podcast? 
Well, what I wanted to do was I wanted to just recreate what we had with something to wrestle. And I felt like I had a few things to do. Number one, I wanted to find somebody who was there for a significant amount of time who could tell, you know, stories from multiple quote unquote eras because Bruce came in in 87 and he didn't leave until 98. So that would get you Hulk Hogan. It would get you Macho Man. It would get you the ultimate warrior. It got you Brett. It got you Sean. It got you Austin. It got you rock. It got you Cena. It got you triple H. Mm -hmm. So you could cover a lot of ground. And, you know, that's what I really wanted for the WCW equivalent of something to wrestle someone who could, you know, have that longevity. The other thing I wanted is someone who hadn't been overexposed because in this shoot interview era from a decade ago and 15 years ago, and everybody and their brother has sort of told their story. So I wanted someone who I didn't feel like was overexposed. They haven't done, you know, nine honky tonk man shoots and they didn't have, they haven't broken down every year with Sean Oliver at kayfabe commentary and they didn't write a book or two. So I wanted someone who wasn't overexposed. But the third thing I wanted was someone who had a good sense of humor that people didn't really expect. And I felt like Bruce was misunderstood because when you just Googled Bruce before something to wrestle, the the rap on Bruce was that he was an office stooge and that he was lazy and that he was negative and that he was an asshole. And only three or four of those things are true. (laughs) Uh, but, but he's, he's very, very funny. He has a wonderful storyteller and people just didn't know his personality. So a lot of the people who were espousing the negativity on Bruce had never actually had the opportunity to meet him or hear from him. And I wanted to find someone like that. And at the NWA Legends Fan Fest in 2015 or 16, I forget which, I believe it was 15, but I could be mistaken. Tony was there and just ripping it up. I mean, in a major way. And he was stealing the show because he has this potty mouth. He's like the Bob Saget of professional wrestling, which I believe MSL from Major League Wrestling is the first person to coin that phrase yeah. because he's like your your TV dad and and you're used to him, you know, in that in that light. And then when you hear him just dropping f bombs left and right and talking about girls' boobs, you're like, wait a minute, what's going on? And and that's what I saw with Tony Schiavone. So that fan fest, he was the talk of fan fest. Uh, Everybody's saying, oh, you got to see Schiavone. And I saw him roast Ole Anderson, and I just loved it. And so. <laughs> Uh, he had appeared on Ric Flair's podcast as a guest and told some tremendous stories on there that were all a little foul. Well, fast forward, and now with the success of uh, Bruce's show, I remember the first time we hit 2 million downloads in a month, uh, we hit 2.1 million downloads, and I said, okay, now it's is the time. So I reached out to Tony by text and said, hey, it's Conrad. I host the uh, Ric Flair show. I've got an idea. Can I have your email? And he says, absolutely. So he sent me his email and I sent a pretty well-written business plan for lack of a better word. Here's how we can make money with a podcast together. Here's what all the different revenue streams would be. Here's what I think is a reasonable expectation for you. And here's the format I'd like to do. Here's a couple of links to listen, see what you think. And within an hour, he replied with two words, I'm in. So we started going back and forth, and I I wanted to tape a couple of sample episodes and just get a feel uh, for how it would flow and uh, and just practice. And we were off to the races. And our first day, uh, you know, Court and I were joking that, hey, if you get 30,000 downloads, 
you know, your first week, you've really done something. I mean, that's to start out and get 30,000 downloads your first week is, is really hitting a home run and you should be proud of that. That would be a big, you know, ambitious goal. Yeah. And, and Tony and I got 110,000 the first day. Wow. So we knew, okay, we're on to something. And, um, through, you know, the, the, the course of the podcast, we've changed directions a little bit because what worked for Bruce wasn't going to work for Tony. You know, Tony wasn't there making a lot of the decisions and Tony wasn't involved in creative every single time. So we had to be able to pivot and do something different. And the first time we tried something different that I recall was Halloween Havoc 1992, where we had Sting taking on Jake the Snake in a coal miner's glove on a pole match, Hmm. which was just silly to say out loud, but that's what it was. And Tony was so hysterical in doing alternate, funny, foul commentary that I thought, this is the model. This is what we've got to have more of. And so we tinkered with it a little bit. And now while it's still technically a watch along, it's almost in the background at this point. You know, we are going to cover the news and whenever something notable happens. But a lot of the time, it's just he and I busted on each other. And for whatever reason, people dig it. And uh, when we decided to add the Patreon concept to all three of the pods, it by far has the biggest following and generates the most revenue and hmm. has the most devout following because Tony Schiavone has really, really enjoyed his return to wrestling in a way that I don't think even he imagined he would. Yeah, you can tell too. You can really, and I haven't met Tony yet, but but looking forward to it. And um, yeah, I was going to say I, I actually uh, you said the watch along is kind of just a, in the background. I don't. The only two or three times have I actually put on the show. I just I'll just have you guys on and listen, you know. And I think that there's a lot of that. And um, with Tony, I think unfortunately that the negative perception you talk about Bruce's negative perception. With Tony, I think uh, a lot of it had to do with with Bobby Heenan's book, and maybe you know you hear Tony's idea was was for Arquette to be champion. So that stuff was out there. And I thought the the Heenan episode that you guys did again was the first time that I heard Tony's show and went, okay, these guys now also, just like the Bruce show, aren't going to leave any stone unturned and, and Connor's not afraid to ask him anything. Yeah, you know, it, it's unfortunate that, you know, Bobby's not with us because yeah. uh, if you could imagine Bobby before he got sick and before he got cancer, man, podcasting was made for him and Dusty Rhodes. I mean, if there are two guys who should have had hugely successful wrestling podcasts. They're Bobby Heenan and Dusty Rhodes. And I would even say in or in that order. I mean, nobody would be able to touch them. But unfortunately, you know, it didn't happen. And as a result, uh, we'll never get to hear, you know, Bobby and, and Tony sort of make up and, right. and you know, fix, re- repair their relationship. But I do think that wrestling, and you you know enough of the guys to know that, Wrestling certainly breeds paranoia mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of negativity where, you know, everybody's sort of jockeying for position. So even if you like them, the minute they leave the room, a lot of the guys will just immediately shit on them. And, <laughs> and that's unfortunate. But I think that um, a lot of the issues that existed between Hayden and Shivani were just based on time and distance not yeah. necessarily real issues right and you hear from from chris jericho and his books and his podcast and stuff about how negative that environment at wwe was too where he never got along with guys like booker and, and and big show and then once they got to the wwe you know they were buddies but it's probably the same thing with with tony and, and bobby they just that that environment you know it stymied what, what could have been a good friendship and relationship 
Um, I just a couple more questions I want to ask you about 83 weeks, obviously, and then we can we can wrap up. Uh, uh, yeah, the the questions, um, you know, kind of kind of um, goes without saying. How did how did that start with Eric? Was that something you always had on the back burner? Like that's the guy I would want to to really pick his brain, or how how'd you want to work with Eric Bischoff? Eric started his podcast Bischoff on wrestling yeah. around the same time that Bruce and I started something to wrestle, not too terribly far apart. And at the time, he was doing a different concept. You know, he was he was talking with um, with Nick Houseman, and they would yeah. cover some current wrestling, and it, it it was not the format that we're doing now. And and he was interested in doing a WCW version of something to wrestle with me, and um, I felt like since he already had a podcast. Having a second podcast with someone who already had a mouthpiece and had written a book and had done some shoot interviews and, and sort of told his story, I didn't know that that would be as effective for sort of trying to mimic what we were doing with something to wrestle as it could be with Tony. Partly because of what I laid out and the other part because Tony's just funny and Bruce is funny and Eric admittedly it's not very funny so I, I just felt like it was a better opportunity with tony and I, and I imagine eric was probably a little disappointed when i didn't want to move forward at the time uh but when bischoff on wrestling sort of wound down uh eric and i started having conversations about hey if we were going to do something how would we do it and then i i just said hey listen it looks like uh once this wedding is paid for and done and behind us for tony we're going to be shutting down the podcast because He's, you know, gotten himself in a little bit of a social media pickle because yeah. our show can sometimes run so far off the tracks that it may or may not be about to affect his real gigs, and he doesn't want to jeopardize, you know, his livelihood. So why don't we just replace, you know, the 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 time and effort I was spending on Tony's show with a new concept with you? And so he agreed. Well, then I'll be darned. Tony decided not to quit podcasting, and now I have three shows. <laughs> what um, what what are you looking forward to kind of covering with Eric? I know it's it's you guys are a handful of shows in, and there's a lot a lot to to cover. So, what do you, what do you have on on your mind? That man, I can't wait to do this episode. Well, his run in WWE will be fascinating. I'd also love to spend some time on uh, the AWA and, of course, the entire TNA debacle. I mean, there's so much of that stuff I'd love to, to dig into. I just think that there's there's a ton of meat on the bone with Eric Bischoff. And obviously, we'll get in, way into the weeds at some point, and we'll go you know, week by week or month by month with the, uh, the Nitro era. Yeah. And there's just so much stuff there. And that new book that came out, the WCW Nitro book, it's called Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Fall of World Championship Wrestling, Ted Turner's World Championship Wrestling, or whatever it's called. Guy Evans hit a home run on that book. And there's so much new information in there that I didn't know and Eric didn't know that it's really like, man, we got to talk about this. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And it was a subject where you thought, what's what's this book going to contain? Because you feel like the well maybe ran dry. And, and nope, that book was, was pretty fascinating. Well, absolutely. Um, I'm going to ask you this, and if, if you can't answer it, I'll just, I'll just cut it. Can, can he discuss TNA and Impact? Because it's, it's kind of seemed like since they, they didn't part exactly, you know, in an amicable fashion, that, it, that maybe that there was some kind of, you know, he can't discuss it in public. I don't know if he can or can't. We're going to. Okay, there you go. <laughs> 
Um, the one final question, of course, you uh, were were you know behind Starcast, which wound up being this this great event. Everybody you know raved about it. I I didn't get to spend as much time there as I would like, but I got the vibe. I could see how much fun people were having. Um, how did Starcast turn out for you? And, and and you know what did you think about it overall? I mean, I think it was a good experience for a lot of fans. You know, listen, I was overwhelmed when we first announced that we were going to do it. I was hoping to get like 800 folks in the building, and we sold over 11,000 tickets. So. To say that I was overwhelmed is an understatement, but uh, if I'm ever foolish enough to do it again, you know, I've made four pages of notes before I ever left the hotel about what I would do differently. You know, just logistically, I needed more staff and, you know, I always focus on what I can do better. I mean, that's the entrepreneur and the business owner in me. But as far as the concept and people getting some unique experiences, I think everybody had a blast. And if those guys decide to do an all-in too, uh, it would not surprise me if they were able to convince me to do a Starcast too, as well. Very nice, very nice. Um, and of course, you've you've begun. Well, you you started started doing live shows with Bruce a couple of uh, about a year and a half ago or so. Now, you just did one with Eric in Baltimore that I attended. You do shows with uh, Tony as well. What do you have coming up as far as the uh, the live shows or anything else that you want to plug? Man, 2019 is going to be a busy year. But uh, what we've got coming up right now with Bruce is all available and on sale now at BrucePritchard.com. Uh, Eric and I are going to be in Rochester, New York at EasyELive.com on December 15th. And the very next day on December 16th, Tony and I will be in Nashville at Zany's. So it should be a great time. We're really, really excited about bringing the show on the road and trying some new stuff. And we hope that you'll come check us out. Tickets are just $35, and you can do a VIP uh, for a few bucks more. And you, you really get your money's worth with a VIP. You get preferred seating. You get some swag. You get pictures, autographs, the whole deal. Uh, but with Eric and Tony, I'm bringing the big gold belt on the road. So you get a photo op with maybe the most important belt in wrestling history. Yeah. And uh, it's just a cool little way to put put a cap on a fun live experience. So if you get a chance to come see us, please do. I know you have a big uh, show with both Eric and Bruce in uh, Connecticut in, in March, is it, at the Mohegan Sun? That's exactly right. March yeah. 1st. And tickets are there for stw83.com. <laughs> So it's something to wrestle with 83 weeks. It's stw83.com. And uh, they're saying that's going to be the biggest NWO reunion ever. So yeah. we shouldn't be at a shortage for uh, fans uh, who want a surprise, who want a little run-in. We should have our pick from several guys. Do you have uh, – I'm sure you guys will be heavily involved around the WrestleMania week and weekend and everything. Do you have anything planned for uh, that time period yet, for that week and weekend? Not yet. You know, we're, we're talking to – uh, Michael from High Spots. Mm -hmm. uh, I know he's trying to do a few different things, and I know WWE wants us to do some stuff. But I imagine that we'll have shows for all three, uh, maybe even multiple shows for Bruce. So we'll have three or four shows that weekend for sure. Nice. Not a matter if, just a matter of where and when. Excellent. Well, I will definitely see you around there, hopefully before that. And, uh, you know, I want to thank you for coming on uh, Creative Control. And, of course, thank you for also giving me the opportunity to work with you on, on something to wrestle with in 83 weeks. Absolutely, man. You've done a great job for us. We appreciate all that you do for us behind the scenes. And, you know, we've been fortunate to run across uh, a handful of good guys who we uh, know love it as much as we do. And it's nice to have business partners like you, man. So thank you for all your contributions. And if you're listening and you'd like to interact on Twitter, I'd love to have you follow. I'm at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. Excellent, man. Well, hey, thank you very much for coming on. I know you're very busy and I appreciate your time. Thanks, man.